Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 11 and 13 to 19. That's page 154, if you're following along in your pew Bible. I can't speak for those of you watching at home. <laughs> Listen now for a word from God. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, he was going along and approaching Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind up all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared before you on your way here, has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Quick footnote, uh, the word or the descriptive term Christian was initially a derogatory term. Uh, these Christians, Christians, uh, were, were words used to describe believers in Jesus in these first years after Christ's death. Um, initially, our community of faith was called, as Graham read in chapter 9 of Acts just now, the way 
right? We were called the way. Later on, we adopted the name Christian, and, and for us anyway, it became a positive term. But it helps to understand that, to, to really understand this passage today. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us today, your gift of yourself to us in the risen Christ, the word made flesh who dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the great theologians of the latter part of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century is a Canadian theologian by the name of Douglas John Hall. He's now retired, but really a brilliant thinker. And I want to begin today with a quote from Douglas John Hall, which goes, Darkness entered into, darkness realized, is the point of departure for all profound expressions of Christian hope. Meaningful darkness becomes revelatory darkness when it is confronted by the courage of a thoughtfulness and hope born of faith's quest for truth. Darkness entered into, darkness realized, is the point of departure for all profound expressions of Christian hope. Well, you don't have to look very far in Scripture to find someone who lives more in the shadows than Saul of Tarsus. Well, you could find people like him today, right now, the leading candidate for the Saul of Tarsus character would be Vladimir Putin, for example. Uh, the shooter at the Mississippi Music Festival yesterday, the shooter on the subway platform not long ago, any abuser, oppressor, any part of us that does damage and injures other human beings, people who live intentionally or regularly in the shadows in darkness. Saul of Tarsus is a zealous Jew persecuting the earlier, earliest believers in Jesus. And our text today begins with Saul, who has been presiding over the arrest and beating and imprisonment and even death of the first believers of Jesus, going to the chief priests and scribes in Jerusalem and asking for a letter of authorization that he can take to the leaders in Damascus so that he will have the authority there to arrest any believers in Jesus, bind them is the word that is used, and then drag them back to Jerusalem to face their punishment, which, as I said, could be as harsh as Death. In fact, that's what happened to Stephen, one of the first deacons, which is one of the things we don't mention to our deacons when we invite them to serve. <laughs> Saul, according to chapter 9 of the book of Acts, which we're reading today, is, the text tells us as it begins, breathing threats and murder against disciples of the Lord. It was a lot more dangerous in those days to be a Christian, to be a believer. It wasn't just that you had to get up early on a Sunday morning in the beautiful weather. You had to risk your life. And this is who Saul is at the start of this famous story, the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And before we go any further, I have two observations to share with you. Actually, the first is an observation, and the second is a confession, just between us. 
The observation is that we human beings don't change very often unless we're compelled to change. In the 12-step world, that's called bottoming out, when we really have no other choice. We don't alter our behavior or our thought processes or our opinions, it seems, no matter how unsatisfying they are to us, no matter how empty we feel, no matter how damaging our behavior or our lives might be, unless we are compelled somehow by circumstances or some other force to change our direction. I grew up, as I've shared with a lot of you, Baptist, more or less. We moved around a lot. My father is in the military, but most of the churches or the, chap- the military chapels we went to were kind of Baptist or Baptist-alike. And in the, that church, we call the uh, believer baptism strain of Christianity, you have to accept Jesus Christ. You have to be old enough and uh, able to make the decision of faith. You have to make a decision for Christ that was going to change your life forever. And I, growing up, even though we moved around a lot, different churches, different preachers, I wanted to know Jesus. I'd heard a lot about him. I wanted the peace and forgiveness and acceptance and the ability to accept myself that seemed to come with Jesus. So I got saved five separate times. True. And I got distracted pretty quickly five separate times. I never could get it right. It kind of drove me to Presbyterianism, in fact, where it isn't about what you decide, it's about the gift that comes to you anyway. And then you decide what you're going to do with it. But your decision doesn't trigger anything. God loves people before they're able to decide or understand or even believe We don't change, no matter how unhappy or unsatisfied we are. uh, We don't like to turn and change directions. We are comfortable, muscle memory. And it's like one of my favorite illustrations of this is the scene in the movie in which I was an extra, but you can't see me, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Classic comedy from longer ago than I care to remember. John Candy and Steve Martin take this crazy, zany trip from New York City to Chicago trying to get home for Thanksgiving. They're thrown together. Everything goes wrong. They annoy each other. Increasingly, they get on each other's nerves, even when they're sharing a bed uh, hysterically in a motel room. Uh, And at one point near the end of the film, John Candy and Steve Martin are driving the wrong way on the freeway on the wrong side of the median. Everything's, it's the dead of night. There's nobody else on the road when the scene begins. And then all of a sudden, a car pulls up on the other side of the median, going in the same direction they're going, and the car honks at them and starts honking, and they're signaling for them to roll down the window. And then when when they finally notice and they roll down the window, John Candy and Steve Martin look over, and the other driver says, you're going the wrong way. You're going to kill somebody. And Steve Martin and John Candy go, what is that guy doing? He he must be drunk. How does he know where we're going? And of course, as soon as they turn back and look, there are two semi-trucks coming right at them, and they barely survive. We resist the wisdom of other people telling us, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You need to turn, even if it's a matter of life and death. That's my observation 
People don't change unless they're compelled to. My confession this morning is that I was inclined to abbreviate our reading, make it shorter, make the whole morning shorter, because I wanted to make this about Saul. The famous part of the story is his conversion on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the light, and he becomes ultimately Paul, the apostle, the one who really is the founder of the Christian church. He spreads the message of Jesus beyond the boundaries of Judaism, which where he grew up, to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, and it hasn't stopped since Saul became Paul and started his mission. But the more I looked at this text, the more I realized that I couldn't limit what we read or what we think about this morning just to Paul, because this story in Acts isn't just about Saul slash Paul, it's about Ananias too. Ananias, the guy who uh, lived in Damascus, a believer in Jesus, who also has an encounter with the risen Christ, In fact, there are three characters in this story today. There's Saul, there's Ananias, and then there's our risen Lord. Saul is walking on the road. He's got his authorization papers from Jerusalem. He encounters this blinding light in this voice, which we've heard about. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, he asks. And you have this moment of intimate knowledge. That light, that voice, knows Saul's name. And to name someone is to know them intimately. And Saul somehow understands, feels that there's something profound going on here. The voice says, get up, go into Damascus and await further instructions. Saul gets up, but he can't see anything. He's blinded by this light, by this theophany, this encounter with God's presence. And suddenly we see already some change happening in the story. This zealot, this very powerful man, this take, char- take charge kind of guy is now dependent. He has to be led the rest of the way into the city by these other people walking with him. And he is no longer in control. But he is in the presence of God. Our second character is Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, which is Syria today. He is a believer. He's a member of the way. He is one of the people threatened by Saul couldn't be more different than Saul, except for he also gets a call from the risen Lord, Jesus of Easter, and also is told by that voice in a vision to go, just like Saul was, to get up and go and do something. In this case, go to the home of somebody named Judas, different Judas, the Syrian Judas, and there you're going to see a guy praying, a blind guy who has been told to expect you, and you're Ananias, you are going to lay hands on him and help him to recover his sight. An amazing prophetic call to go do the work of healing and love, to restore sight to the blind, as it says in Luke 4 when Jesus talks about his mission. Wouldn't we all love to be called by the voice of God to do something like that, like Ananias was? And we know it's prophetic because Ananias answers the way every prophet does in the Bible when God asks the prophet to do something. I'd really rather not. Those of us who've been called to be invited to be deacons and elders, we know the feeling, right? I'm busy, got a lot going on. Ananias points out, um, Lord, I know you're the Lord of the universe and everything and pretty well informed, but if you're talking about the same Saul I'm thinking of, the one I've heard about, the one who's done evil to your people, my brothers and sisters in the church, who's arrested them, beaten them, dragged them away from their families, their children. 
the one who has the authority to arrest anyone he wants, anyone who invokes your name, Lord, any of us in the believers, the one who has actually killed or authorized the killing of our fellow believers, you want me to help him? And the voice in Ananias's heart and mind says, yes, Saul, that Saul, that very same Saul, whom we as readers today can compare to anybody we can think of, right? Any doer of evil, profound evil, that Saul is an instrument God in Christ says to Ananias that I have chosen to bring my name to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the people of Israel to spread the good news that there is hope for each and every human being on this planet. God in Christ, the presence of God, is alive still. In the midst of all of this darkness, all of this shadow, all of this violence, all of this despair. So Ananias goes. He goes to the street called Straight. He goes to the house of Judas. He finds Saul just as he was told he would. He lays hands on Saul just like we did last week with our new elders and deacons here in our church. And Saul suddenly can see. He once was blind, but now he sees Something like scales, weird description in the book of Acts. Something like scales falls from Saul's eyes. Friends, the risen Christ calls us and then enables us to see things differently. That's one of the profound good news results of Easter. To see others differently, to see ourselves differently, our futures differently. Being known by the risen Christ, as Saul and Ananias both were, changes the trajectory of our lives. Whether we're on the ground, kind of blinded, or whether we're praying on our knees at night, or walking in the midst of the beauty of creation this time of year, meeting God in Christ, knowing that God in Christ lives, changes the direction of our lives. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, but we're never the same. Darkness realized, just like the cross on Good Friday, we have to enter into it. Darkness realized, darkness entered, is where all profound expressions of Christian hope begin. Saul began in deep darkness and shadow and became Paul. And as Douglas John Hall said in the opening of our sermon, meaningless darkness then becomes revelatory darkness. We find... God is revealed in the shadows, in the pain, in the struggle. Saul was blind and now sees. Ananias was blind and judgmental, but now he sees as well. What drove Paul, N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, says, what drove Paul from that moment on the Damascus Road and throughout his subsequent life was the belief that Israel's God had done what he had always said he would never abandon his people. And our God will not abandon us either because of Easter. Amen.